You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. I'm doing this series where every Tuesday we're finding some incredible people who can do a Tuesday takeover. And, and part of the community is like, that's how you grow a great community. That's how you hear a lot of great conversations. So I have with me Yog, who is the host of the ABM Conversations podcast. He's one of the top 100 MarTech influencers. And just figured out, he is also the author of seven books. His latest book, actually, Revenue Marketing, he's put it on free on Amazon for people to go take it. So he's a really go-giver kind of person. And the series that he's running is called Best of B2B Marketing. And it's a four-part series that I want you you to share more about what are these interviews and what things people are going to get out of it. Right. I'm absolutely excited. And thank you for this, Sangram. So, uh, you know, this series, as you rightly called us, you know, the B2B marketing series. What we are, what we do here is that I've interviewed four different people. The first one, of course, uh, the topics kind of vary uh, from ABM to uh, ROI to social selling. And, uh, you know, we go into MarTech, so on and so forth. So the first one uh, with you, Sangram, you know, we discussed ABM. We went in depth as to it's not about the number of tools that we use, but how we effectively use it and how ABM is a strategy. And uh, it's not about the kind of tools that you use. So that was a wonderful conversation. I would love for people to take a deeper look into that. And uh, the next conversation was between me and my uh, co-host Manish. We spoke about social selling in ABM. So in this topic, uh, when you look at it, I figured out that a lot of you know, a lot of us do this on LinkedIn, right? So we go in, um, we just connect with somebody and immediately start selling. That's not how social selling is done. It needs to be, you know, establishing your own brand, be social first, and over a period of time, become an authority who people come to and begin conversations with. So that's what that topic is all about and how we can use that in the context of ABM. And then I had an opportunity to talk with Chris Walker. Uh, we discussed about how we waste a lot of money in marketing and how we can uh, you know, get the right kind of ROI based on our investments. And finally, you know, the chief MarTech, Scott Brinker, that was a wonderful opportunity for me as well. With him, I got to talk in depth about the current MarTech landscape. And, uh, you know, I asked him certain questions like, uh, why is that we as marketers aren't that puzzled when we have more and more MarTech vendors um, and MarTech uh, consultants compared to the number of tools that come in day by day. And we had a wonderful conversation. We spoke about, uh, say, the kind of integrations and the kind of four levels of integrations, and we went deeper about that space. So uh, these are four amazing conversations, and you know, I would love for the people to enjoy this. Awesome. So if you are listening to this for the first time, then you are in a treat. This is going to drop every Tuesday as part of the Tuesday Takeover. And But if you are catching us in the middle, let's say you're listening to the Scott Brinker's episode right now, go back to the last three Tuesdays and you can catch uh, Yog's conversation with me, with Manish, and also with Chris Walker. Great conversation. Again, this is the series on the Flip Monthly Podcast follows the best of the B2B marketers. And this is with Yog and his information and everything will also will be in the show notes. So Yog, thank you so much for taking the time and hope everybody have a fun time listening to it. Thank you so much, Sangram. It's been a pleasure. Hi. 
Hello and uh, welcome to yet another episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. Today is a very special episode for us. We are going to be exploring the MarTech scene today with um, one of our favorite people. And uh, he's someone who is synonymous with the word MarTech and uh, MarTech landscape and uh, chief MarTech. I don't even have to uh, you know, make any uh, uh, deeper introduction than this. So welcome to the show, uh, Scott. Nice to have you. Oh, it's great to be here with you. So I'll, I'll get straight to the uh, key question that I wanted to ask you, uh, Scott. You know, every year you come up with your uh, MarTech landscape and, uh, you know, as you have said in your blogs and also the kind of emotions that it triggers with many of us, it ranges from excitement to frustration. You know, it's, it's like a, a myriad of uh, emotions. And in fact, uh, I love when uh, you reacted to that saying that uh, it's not like Galileo going to the church and saying that uh, the earth is revolving around the sun. So why do you think there is, you know, this much kind of an outrage or a reaction when it comes to uh, MarTech products, whereas you don't get the same kind of reaction for, uh, say, agencies or uh, service providers? Yeah, it's a question I spend, uh, <laughs> I've spent many hours thinking about. Yeah, I think, uh, I think there are two main reasons. One is, you know, services and technology are different. Uh, you know, I think for better or worse, marketers tend to think of services as being very ephemeral that, you know, like they, uh, uh, you, you hire an agency to do a campaign for you or to, you know, build a website or something. Like that. It, it happens over a relatively finite period of time and then it's done. And if the campaign didn't work, you don't hire that agency again. You hire another agency and you start over and uh, that new campaign isn't really held back by the previous campaign. And so, yeah, it, it, it's you, you don't really back yourself into a corner with, uh, you know, a lot of traditional marketing services versus like technology, you know, particularly when you're looking at buying, you know, platforms and more of this, you know, infrastructure technology. Yeah, this is not something that you just buy and then, uh, oh, well, we'll, you know, we'll use this platform this year. And ah, if we don't like it next year, we'll throw that all out and move to another platform. Uh, technology tends to be, uh, you know, a much stickier investment. And so I think the stakes are a lot higher for marketers to make those choices well. And so, yeah, you know, having more and more choices on the landscape, you know, makes that seem more daunting. And I think the other thing is, you know, marketers have been hiring services companies, you know, agencies for like decades, right? This is a very well-established set of practices in the marketing world. You know, CMOs know how to evaluate agencies, you know, how to run the engagement with them, you know, what it's going to cost them, you know, what reasonable expectations are. It's like, you know, they just, you know, marketers are very savvy, uh, you know, at uh, agency management. Technology, though, right, this is still pretty new to most marketers. Uh, they don't understand it as well. Um, they're not always clear how to be an astute buyer uh, of this technology. And the fact that the technology is continuing to, you know, innovate and change and disrupt and new, uh, you know, companies springing up. Yeah, it doesn't make it any easier for, you know, marketers to uh, get their arms around that. And so... Yeah, I think that's one of the, those those two reasons are probably why, you know, like 30,000 agencies doesn't bother marketers anywhere near as much as like 3,000 MarTech companies would. Right. And I would like to scratch that uh, topic a little bit more because uh, based on what you just said and based on the question that Yag had earlier for you, 
on one hand, we have the ever-expanding categories of MarTech tools, and uh, yet every other day we have new innovative tools coming up which don't even fit into a specific category, right? Similarly, on the other hand, we have talked extensively about, uh, you have talked extensively about categories getting consolidated or being completely obliterated. For example, the depth of uh, predictive intelligence as a category, right? So my question to you, Scott, is how do you think organizations and uh, in particular marketing teams should realign their MarTech stack considering the fact that the landscape is so fluid and uh, subject to a high degree of uncertainty? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So I've become a very big proponent of platform architectures in marketing. And uh, I'm obviously a little biased here. I mean, the the work I do at uh, HubSpot is helping HubSpot be a better platform uh, for marketers. But yeah, my my recommendation here isn't specific to HubSpot. You know, there's a number of other competing platforms in the space. And I think the the important thing from a marketer's point of view is to say, you want to design your stack in a way that you have a relatively stable foundation you know, like a major platform as your core, your system of record you know, for customer data, your system of record for, uh, you know, engagement management. And then at the same time, while you want a very stable foundation that you're not going to be changing every year, you want that foundation to be incredibly open. Uh, and this is where I see now really the big competition among the major players in MarTech is who can have the better ecosystem, you know, who can have better integrations with more apps or better apps, you know, and really make it easier for marketers to be able to add or substitute, you know, these more specialized apps in their stack and still have them all work well with that foundational system of record. Uh, so I, th- I mean, this is this is a work in progress. I would not say that the industry is by any means, um, you know, achieved nirvana there. Uh, but I think that's the direction we're heading, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Right, and and uh, you know, you you just spoke about uh, kind of having a core piece, and uh, you know, also a lot of integrations. In fact, I was recently going through this uh, Pandium's report. Uh, which says that uh, the fastest growing MarTech companies tend to have an average of about, like say, four to six product integrations. And somewhere I think the median is about 17. But on the other side, you also spoke about ecosystems or platforms and, uh, uh, you know, either even consolidation hasn't really uh, happened. So in your view, uh, what do you think? Is it is it like, uh, you know, we, we have more uh, favors in terms of uh, point solutions or is the direction going towards more platforms? Or is it just kind of two factions of, uh, say, MarTech belief systems? Yeah, well, so here's what I find interesting is, in theory, and I think actually we're seeing this play out in practice as well, really strong platforms uh, and consolidation at the platform level actually makes it easier for there to be a just an explosion of more specialized, uh, quote unquote, point solutions apps that plug into those platforms. Because really, the you know, people love specialized tools. They love tool that like, wow, this is the best influencer marketing tool ever. You know, this is the best, you know, website heat map. You know, I mean, they love their individual tools. The, the problem they've had with them in the past is like, okay, well, you know, yeah, I can get all these individual tools, but the burden is entirely on me as the marketer to figure out how to connect all this crap together. 
uh, versus like if we're if we're really successful with this platform movement in the industry, then it's like, okay, I have a solid platform. Now I can pick these specialized tools from that platform's ecosystem, but it's no longer the burden is no longer on me as a non-technical marketer to figure out how I connect this stuff. They kind of just plug in. And again, you know, I mean, the, the, the degree to which they just plug in, you know, varies right now, depending on the app and depending on the platform. But, you know, that's that's it seems to be the direction where we're making a tremendous amount of progress. And, uh, you know, uh, in this, right, for for example, uh, every company or every product also tends to have their own marketplace. So um, does that impact the scene of a, a point solution or um, are like still companies going towards ecosystems? And uh, uh, how does uh, marketplace play out into this entire scene? You know, again, this is part of the process of how people discover you know, what's available. Uh, I think uh, beyond discovery, there's then, you know, can you... Can you remove friction, uh, you know, from the process of actually, uh, you know, trying or uh, buying or, you know, installing these apps? And I also think, you know, I mean, one of the advantages of marketplaces is they help connect the community of users around that, too. You know, like the simplest example of this are, you know, things like ratings and reviews. You know, if they're, you know, not just uh, <laughs> anyone can post a random review, but it's like, you know, OK, authenticated customers, you know, who have used a particular product are then able to, you know, leave a, uh, you know, a well-evaluated review on it. All of a sudden, that information is so incredibly helpful. Having things even like understanding the popularity of products, like which ones get the most number of installs. I mean, if you think about this, like in a totally different world, like with, um you know, say like the Android Play Store, uh, Google Play Store for Android or, you know, the Apple App Store for iOS. You know, I mean, those marketplaces are really well designed to make it easy for people to discover and then obviously just install and use, you know, what is an, what is a literally a field of millions of products at this point. Uh, and so, well, I don't think MarTech is ever going to be quite that simple for a lot of reasons. I do think we can draw a lot of inspiration, uh, you know, from that is like, okay, well, if that's, if that would be the ultimate nirvana, you know, asymptotically, like how close can we get to that? Right. Makes a lot of sense. So I don't think we're done with on the topic of integrations as of yet, because, um, you know, what Yag uh, asked you kind of reminded me of this question, Scott. I remember um, sometime back in April, you spoke about the four types of integration somewhere in the internet world. And uh, when people generally talk about integrations, at least in the marketing circles, it's uh, either a simple yes-no conversation or it's about having uh, one-way or two-way integration. But uh, I think our listeners will benefit if you can go into the weeds uh, of discussing what are those four types of integration. And once you break down each of them, I, I'll hopefully have another follow-up question to that. Well, I love this question. Thank you for setting me up for this, because uh, this is one of my favorite topics of, um, you know, when people talk about integrations. Yeah, as you said, it tends to be, uh, you know, this very superficial of like, does product A integrate with product B? You know, the answer is probably, well, yes. But how well it integrates between product A and product B, it turns out, right, there's a, just an incredible spectrum of possibilities. Uh, and so I think about it in four layers, uh, data, workflow, 
UI, UX, uh, and uh, governance. And so to dig into each one of those for a bit, like data is actually what we think about for most integrations. Like, oh, well, do I get data from product A into product B? Yes, that's one way to do it. Uh, As you pointed out, right, you can have like a one-way just slinging data over the fence from uh, one product to another. Or you can have a more sophisticated data integration that actually synchronizes data both ways. It has rules in place for dealing with, you know, conflicts, exceptions, how to resolve that, uh, how quickly, what's the uh, speed by which these things are synchronized? Is it, you know, close to real time? Is it done once a week? I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you can do in like a better or deeper data integration. But that is just one layer. You know, the next layer is like workflow. Um, Okay, so as, uh, you know, I've got all these different tools uh, in my MarTech stack where, you know, there's a customer interaction on, say, my webinar tool. Do I have the ability to have that interaction trigger then some sort of workflow in my marketing automation platform, you know, that then follows up with a nurture email? And then depending on what the reaction is to that email, I might want to, you know, like trigger a change in the record in the CRM or send some sort of notification uh, into, uh, say, a collaboration tool for the sales team, like, uh, you know, over Slack or something. I mean, so there's, there's basically the, the, this, like, flow of how both customer journeys and internal processes work. And so a big question in integration is how well do your tools integrate with each other at the workflow layer? Uh, are you able to orchestrate that flow across them? Then at the level above that, you've got this idea of, okay, well, do I have to, for UI and UX, do I have to, you know, switch between 10 different browser windows, you know, on my laptop? Or, you know, can I have one primary system where I'm spending most of my time working and then the other tools that I've integrated actually surface uh, some of their uh, uh, capabilities directly into that UI? Um, You know, and we're starting to see you know, lots of examples of this throughout MarTech. Uh, I mean, even the simplest one is like, you know, if you're using like, say, Gmail or something like that, you know, you can have these apps that get embedded that, you know, add different, you know, panes and layers on top of Gmail, like Dropbox, you can, you know, manage attachments from Dropbox directly without in the Gmail interface without having to leave uh, leave it, you know, so so you can get deeper and deeper and better integrations that way. And then the fourth layer uh, isn't really a technical layer per se. It's this idea of governance of saying, okay, you know, if I'm in like the HubSpot marketplace and I'm looking for apps that integrate, you know, it's really helpful for me to know, okay, which of these apps have been certified by uh, HubSpot? Uh, what sort of uh, scopes, uh, you know, do they have as far as, you know, access to the data? How much control do I have over that? Uh, what is the pricing architecture there? Is that clear? Is it something that I can, you know, uh, rely on a transparency uh, in pricing? Uh, what about support for different kinds of compliances? You know, is this a GDPR compliant app? So all this stuff around governance that I think platforms in particular can enforce the rules of apps that are authenticated into their ecosystem in a way that brings a lot of value to customers. Uh, So, yeah, I think when you look across that whole spectrum of, you know, data and workflow and UI, UX and governance, there's a lot of room for integrations to be really deep and powerful.
that's uh, that's great scott you laid it out really well for a layman marketer like uh, me uh, uh, but uh, okay great there is a data level integration there is a ui ux and workflow and then the governance so uh, how can marketing teams put this knowledge to use when they have to adopt a tool for the users or uh, while they are deciding which product they should integrate their own product with how do you go about that yeah, I mean, so for the, the first part of that, right, like if I'm a marketer and I'm evaluating uh, different products to integrate into my stack, I think that's really all you need to know is, um, yeah, I, the, hopefully that framework is helpful to say, OK, well, I've got three choices. Let me actually look at each of these three choices and understand how is the data going to be uh, integrated? Is there a workflow connection between them? Is there any sort of shared UI? You know, do they match the governance requirements that are important to me? Um, yeah, I think it's just this is part of being a savvy MarTech buyer is evaluating your options through that lens. As far as if you're a MarTech company yourself and you're deciding, OK, well, integrations are clearly a very big deal now. You know, how do I pick which platforms and products to integrate with? I actually just did a webinar uh, the, the other week with the fellow Clement Boulan, who used to be with Point Nine Capital. Um, and yeah, it was a whole topic of like, okay, well, how do you identify the right platform to integrate to, you know, and it's all these things of like, okay, matching, uh, you know, uh, the, the customer, uh, type, like, you know, is it a good fit customer wise, uh, understanding what the distribution mechanisms are in that marketplace? Will they be able to give you an opportunity to acquire customers? Um, you know, what's the relationship in pricing? Like, you know, do, do, is, is your pricing architecture compatible with, you know, the platform's pricing architecture? So it's, you know, not too expensive or, you know, not undervaluing your product, uh, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's you want to be very strategic in choosing which ones you invest in. And I think at this point, you're probably better off doing a few integrations with a major major platforms that are really well good integrations. They're deep. They go to those four different layers we were just talking about, uh, so that you're one of the best integrations in that ecosystem. Rather than that sort of, you know, spreading peanut butter approach where you're like, oh, well, we'll do a light integration here and a light integration there and a light integration of these three other products. I think at this point, you're probably better off a smaller number of integrations that are just really terrific. Makes a lot of sense, uh, Scott. In fact, you know, more often than not, uh, I've often seen people making these uh, decisions more uh, on the basis of, say, for example, if I'm creating a product and um, say I am. Uh, I'm a product that is going to plug into a CRM system, then I might probably be thinking um, something around which CRM has quite a bit of audience so that I can, uh, you know, sell my product to that. Like say, if I um, if I integrate with HubSpot CRM, then um, I get into the HubSpot ecosystem. So that's, that's one way of thinking about it, right? Yeah. And uh, with more and more companies, you know, kind of uh, um, getting more tech, uh, there is this constant question where... Uh, Marketing is becoming more and more tech or more and more automated, and uh, it's not human enough. So, how would you uh, look at it, right? So, that's the, what would be your advice to uh, make sure that your marketing org is uh, scalable, automated at the same time it is human at its core. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a big mission, right? If you're heading up the marketing operations, marketing technology uh, pillar uh, of your organization, I think you want to be very thoughtful 
about, on one hand, yeah, all the automation and augmentation capabilities that you can bring to the marketing team and the, you know, the company more broadly. But I think you want to be really careful about not losing touch with what the actual experience is like for customers in particular. I mean, we could spend an entire like (laughs) six hours just talking about this one topic, but let me give you one very specific piece of advice I would uh, highly recommend everyone to think about, which is when we think about rules-based automation, we are usually thinking about a standard process or standard case. Like, okay, well, the customer is going to come to this page. They're going to pick a segment. They're going to download a white paper. You're going to get this information from them. They're then, you know, going to ask to talk to a salesperson uh, and then they're going to buy. I know some, you know, super simple flow like that. And so we can design these automation rules relatively easy to say, okay, well, you know, based on this segment, serve up this particular thing. When they then take this action, send them over to the salesperson, you know, after X number of days, you know, send the follow-up email, you know, and then after a certain period of time, it's either close lost or close one. That's fine. You can automate that. But then what happens is even if the majority of your prospects and customers fit that flow, there's going to be exceptions. There's going to be people like, well, no, 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 no. Actually, I need to loop someone else in because I'm only uh, the influencer in this. I need to bring in a buyer, you know, and all of a sudden, if like your automation keeps banging on people, uh, you know, because it's like expecting them to behave in one way, but they've actually got a different set of interests than, you know, that automation was designed for. There's there, there, there's some sort of exception uh, to be handled there. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the place where you see automations just, they, they tend to not be very effective. And if anything, actually, they can be annoying. They can actually have the inverse effect uh you know you'd hope for they they're they're making the experience worse for the customer and so i think this is one of these things that just as you know marketing operations and marketing technology architects you know we have to be careful of oversimplifying these automations and we want to make sure that really at every step along the journey the customer has some sort of option to break out of that automation, to have some sort of, to identify themselves as an exception to that automation and then have, you know, our company actually be able to react to that, you know, in an intelligent way. Um, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is complicated stuff, but I think this is, this is where the work is. This is where the mission is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I love the point that you uh, just made because uh, I have I've experienced this firsthand, uh, you know, when, when you use technology and when you're not using it uh, for the right reasons, it's going gonna, it's gonna to only amplify your problems. It's going to show up uh, where, where all the systems are broken than actually helping you. Yes. I think, you know, it's not even about systems being broken, say. It's just you know, life is complex. Uh, Buyers are complex, Um, you know, and sometimes the automation in in the process of trying to be helpful can actually oversimplify things. And I think uh, the more we can build in the ability to adapt uh, to either the variations in a particular customer or their journey and you know, sort of respect a little bit of the complexity of the process, uh, the better off we are. 
Now, Scott, uh, you come up with this humongous set of research reports and uh, data every year that you publish uh, for the greater good of the marketing community worldwide. Obviously, I want to say thank you for that. But uh, I also believe uh, you see a lot of patterns when you connect the dots across uh, across these uh, data sets. And uh, based on that experience, what do you think are the top three to four things that the marketing teams are expecting? Matic vendors to improve on or offer. Mm, yeah, all right, that's a fun one. Well, yeah, I think uh, so. So the first two are really clear. One is you need to integrate. <laughs> I mean, this is a pain point that almost every marketer I've ever talked to is like, I wish these products would integrate better together. You know, this is a, a competitive uh, dimension uh, that you can win on. So build great integrations. I think the second thing is although. User experience is getting better as a discipline overall. And I'd say new MarTech products in general tend to have better uh, user experiences than, you know, products from 20 years ago. Um, the, uh, the truth is, as an industry, we still have a long way to go. Like, can you make your software easier for marketers to use, more intuitive, more helpful? You know, so if you do great integrations and you're like a really your UX is just spectacular. Well, I think if you do those two things, like you've kind of nailed it. You know, as we get further down the long tail of things that marketers want to do, I think the next probably the next most popular thing is the configurability or the ability to change the software to map to their business. Instead of the other way around of like having to change my business to, you know, match your software, it's like the inverse Conway's law or something like that. So this is actually where I think, you know, there's been a lot of excitement around this idea of like no code. And when you sort of peel back, <laughs> people throw the term no code around a lot. And now there's a lot of different products using that label. But I think if you sort of peel back the, you know, uh, the hype, uh, what you're really talking about is giving non-technical business users the ability to customize the way things work for their own particular business process, for their own particular needs, uh, without having to like, yeah, you know, hire, a, you know, an engineer or, you know, uh, take a ticket and wait, you know, a year for IT to get around to it. Um, that they just want to be able to change and adapt the software to their needs so I, I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, if you could do those three things, uh, great integrations, great usability, you know, great uh, configurability for the non-technical user, man, uh, knock it out of the park. That's definitely a few of the expectations that I think uh, marketers definitely can relate to from MarTech uh, vendors. But uh, uh, let's talk about the few MarTech vendors that are already doing a few things wrong because... Uh, I I remember you recently coined a very interesting term called bullyware. You you tweeted about it, Scott, and the sound of it is very fascinating and maybe a little intimidating for a lot of people uh, who may not have had such great uh, high school experiences. Can you tell us a little bit about what bullyware means and what prompted you to come up with that insult? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I was having flashbacks to my own high school experience. Um, <laughs> I just got in a product for hosting webinars, like a new uh, hot new webinar product that actually looks really cool. 
but it like wanted me to do this particular onboarding flow. Like when I went into the tool and I was just trying to like look around, it's like, okay, you must step one, do X, you know, and then before you can do anything else, you're going to have for step two, do Y. And I'm like, I don't want to do X and Y right now. I've got my own thing that I want to just sort of look through and figure out on my own. And it just wouldn't stop nagging me. Um, (laughs) And I don't know. So it just struck me at a time like, listen, I think the intent is very well-meaning, right? You know, like, you know, having structured onboarding and having these, you know, guided experiences to help, uh, you know, new users better understand your software. I think the intent's great. I think you should do that. But I think there's also a place where, you know, you you can go a little bit too far with that. And, you know, your opinion of what the user should do or what they would want to do, you know, may not actually be what that user should do or want to do. So uh, <laughs> give them a little bit of free will. Right. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. So, um, Scott, now, you know, let's let's go into uh, this phase of uh, rapid fire. Are you ready for that? All right. Let's hit me. <laughs> All right. So here's the first question. What do you see in the next uh, five years? You know, do you see a world of more softwares or less? And why do you think so? Oh, uh, 10 times more software, maybe 100 times more software because it's getting easier and easier for anyone to create software. Right. And uh, what do you think is a better strategy? If there is a a new MarTech product, uh, what do you think is a better strategy? Uh, Should they have more integrations or should they have more reselling partners or channel partners? That depends on your go-to-market strategy. But I would say uh, from a barrier that most marketers face, the barrier that's the most challenging for them is having it integrate well with their existing stack. Right. And uh, off late, when you look at uh, the Gartners and Foresters of the world, they have, they have like talking um, about like almost like 2020 is gone and let's be very optimistic about uh, 2021. So are marketers being a little bit too optimistic about 2021? What do you think? Possibly. I think this is just, uh, I'd, rather than be optimistic or pessimistic, I think the wise approach is to just accept at this moment in time, there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, for 2021. And so the best thing you can do as a marketer is be prepared to adapt. Uh, if things go really great, take advantage of it. Uh, you know, if things uh, are a little bit more challenging, you know, be prepared to roll with punches. Right. Makes sense. And um, so question number four, um, do you believe that software is more and more eating into the marketing world? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just eating into everything in life. You know, it's kind of hard. Like I was just I was just uh, <laughs> I was just going to purchase a new uh, oven. Our oven stove uh, has finally uh, fallen apart on us here. And like you go to the appliance store now and like these uh, ovens, these stoves, they're all like, oh, yeah, well, we have, you know, the connection. You can like manage this through like your Google Assistant or Alexa or something. I'm like, all right, you know, if the friggin' stove <laughs> is running software at this point in time. Yeah, I think we can say pretty much everything in life at this point is uh, software powered. It's a digital world. Right. All right. So uh, for us, you know, when it comes to MarTech, our uh, main source that we go to is uh, chiefmartech.com. So what is your primary source for opinions and information? Oh, uh, my answer there might be a little bit different than what you would think. It's not necessarily one particular publication or one particular writer. 
what I tend to do is I try to just follow a lot of smart people on Twitter, like including yourself, sir. Um, Thank you. And then, yeah, every morning when I wake up, I'm just sort of scanning through the timeline to see what content the people I admire uh, shared. Uh, and so I end up like reading things from like a whole variety of different publications. But um yeah, there's, there's just, uh, <laughs> I, I rely on the crowd of, uh, yeah, trusted, uh, uh, trusted influencers. Lovely, Scott. Um, not to remind you of the bullyware, but maybe you should give Jess a try because Jess does exactly that. I mean, it curates the best content for you based on your uh, taste. So there you go. I just uh, gave them a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Scott, uh, the, we are in the last leg of our show and this has been an extremely fun and knowledgeable episode to record. Uh, Yag and I are very happy that you made it to the show. We had been looking forward to having you on the podcast for a very long time. And now that it's done, we finally, uh, we are so happy we finally scratched that itch. And I'm expecting a lot of DMs to come our way from podcast listeners to do another round of interview with you which I definitely hope we'll do anyway, given your interest and uh, time in the future. So before we let uh, you get back to the rest of your day, is there any parting message uh, for our podcast listeners, Scott? Uh, well, thank you again for having me. Really enjoyed the chat uh, and uh, would be delighted to be back anytime. I think, you know, the the thing I would say is part of this has to do with the pandemic and part of it just has to do with, you know, MarTech as a field is there's just so much happening in our world, in our industry and in our profession that it's really easy to feel overwhelmed by it. And I guess I would just want to let any listener know that you're not alone, actually. Every single person, me, I mean, I am continually overwhelmed, you know, by the number of things I come across every day. Uh, and you just have to accept that this is the new reality. You're never going to get your arms around all of this, but neither is anybody else. You know, what, what we're learning to do as a profession is be able to just kind of like roll with this in a very fluid way and be constantly learning and constantly adapting and constantly experimenting. Um, and I think if you, if you accept that at some level, yeah, that's just the new normal and that you're never going to have all the answers uh, on this stuff that uh, hopefully, yeah, you can actually enjoy the ride uh, without letting it uh, get you too stressed out. Don't be stressed out. That's a, that's a very touching message, uh, Scott. Uh, thank you for so, so much for saying that. I, I hope it will resonate with a lot of people. And um, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, follow you, or read your work online? Sure. So uh, my blog is uh, chiefmartech.com, but that's martech without an H at the end. So it's C-H-I-E-F-M-A-R-T-E-C. Dot com and Chief Martech spelled that way is also my uh, uh, handle on Twitter. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Happy to chat with you. Awesome. Awesome, Scott. Uh, once again, thank you. Uh, and to the people listening to the show, we will catch you again in the next episode of the AVM Conversations podcast. Until then, it's bye from me, Manish Nepal. And this is bye from me, Yag. Thank you and take care. Thanks again for joining us, Scott. You have a great day. Thank you. Bye, guys. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. 
Until next time.